Let's all stand and take our hymnals tonight. We're going to turn to page number 219. Page number 219, let's stand and we'll sing the unclouded day. And I'm so glad everybody could be out with us tonight. Thank you for coming. And I'm looking forward to another good service here under the tent. Uh, appreciate everybody being out. And we do have our food court tonight as well. And we have chicken sandwiches. So uh, they're not Chick-fil-A. They're not even close. They're not even in the same category. But they're chicken nonetheless. So anyhow, uh, page number 219, let's uh, sing the unclouded day. sing Heaven's Jubilee. <clears throat> Some glad morning we shall see Jesus in the air Coming after you and me, joys is ours to share What rejoicing there will be when the saints shall rise Headed for Yonder in the sky Jubilee 
to that day. Be all right if it was tonight, especially as hot as it is. We'll go ahead and get on out of here. But looking forward to another good night under the tent and uh, looking forward to what the preachers will have to preach. And uh, we've already enjoyed some good singing. And uh, just so glad that you're here. We appreciate uh, some of the area pastors, Pastor Style from Silver Lane's out. And then uh, we have a special speaker tonight. I'm going to let uh, Pastor Brown introduce him here in just a minute. But uh, thank you so much for being out with us tonight. Pastor Staub, would you open us in prayer, please, sir? Our Father, we come to you because we need you. Speak to our hearts. Fill the preachers, Lord. Minister to them. Help us to respond, God, to your mercy and your grace. And make that move you want us to make tonight. Thank you for this tent, the effort that's been put in it. But Lord, we need you. Work in our hearts. We don't need another service, Lord. We need you. Help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. you. May be seated. Good to have everybody visiting tonight. And I had God put someone on my heart the other day and uh, talked to uh, Pastor Summers in Chelsea, Michigan. He's here tonight with his wife, Melody. And uh, they're going to come and sing right now. They, we've had them here before for singing in the tent. And uh, Brother Adam has preached for us in RU. He did some banquets for us here in the past and uh, wanted him to come and preach to us tonight. And he was gracious enough to say that he could. And I'm excited what he might have for us this evening. So uh, his wife, Sister Melody, she was raised up a Whitaker. And the Whitakers used to sing in the area churches years back. And uh, now she's been a pastor's wife. I, I think I, I, I read, uh, how many years now? Eight, 18 years? 18 years married. And uh, pastor's a good church there in Chelsea, Michigan, Faith Baptist Church. And I didn't know this about Brother Adam, but he was over at the College School of Scriptures at First Baptist Milford, Ohio, under Dr. Charles Keene. And then went under Jack Story, and uh, I think he was an assistant pastor, assistant pastor, youth pastor for about eight years, and now he's been pastor uh, for nine, is that right, about nine years? Twelve. Twelve, okay, that was wrong. Your website's wrong, but anyway, <laughs> uh, I appreciate his spirit, and they sing well, and so they're going to sing, and then he's going to come to the pulpit. I uh, thank God for the good local churches in the area trying to get the gospel out as well as us, okay? And that's a blessing. You folks, God bless you. When I 
your Bibles this evening, please take your Bibles and find the book of Judges in chapter 1. The book of Judges chapter 1. I would say thank you for coming out and being here to hear me preach, but none of you had any idea that I would be preaching this evening, and so it's jokes on you, I guess. I don't know, but thank you for being here this evening, and it's nice and cool tonight compared to last week. I can deal with this. This is all right. And so I'll thank the Lord for that as well. The book of Judges in your Bible will be in Judges chapter 1. I'd like to read just a few verses, then we'll stop and we'll ask the Lord to bless His Word. Beginning in verse 1 of the book of Judges. Judges chapter 1 and verse 1 says, Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. And Judah said unto Simeon, his brother, come up with me into my lot that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I likewise will go with thee into thy lot. So Simeon went with him. And Judah went up and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand. And they slew of them uh, uh, in Bezek 10,000 men. And they found Adonai Bezek in Bezek. And they fought against him, and they slew the Canaanites and the Perizzites. But Adonai Bezek fled, and they pursued after him, and caught him, and cut off his thumbs and his great toes. Father, thank you for an opportunity to preach. Lord, I do need your help. God, I pray that you would still, Lord, all that goes on in this tent, would you remove distractions? And then, Father, Lord, if, if you'd be pleased to speak to our hearts, we'll be careful to praise you and thank you for it. We'll ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We come to this passage of Scripture, and I'm, I'm not a, a polished or refined preacher, which makes it very easy for me uh, to, to sit back and inform you that I find humor in strange places in the Bible. And I'm not, I'm not so, uh, uh, so, so high church that I can't admit that there are some funny things, some, some peculiar things in Scripture. We find one of those things right here in Judges chapter 1. We find that we're kind of in a transition period between the book of Joshua going into the book of Judges. Joshua is now dead. He's gone off the scene. And God has not yet raised up another, another leader. And so the people begin to survey the, the land. They realize there are still enemies to be fought. And they begin to cry out and ask among themselves and even ask the Lord, who's going to go up before us? Joshua's gone. Now who's going to lead us? Who's going to lead the charge into the land? And, and, and so God says, I've I've decided Judah's going to be that, and we'll send those folks up. And Judah says, I'll go. How about Simeon coming with me? And so they go together. And the Bible says the Lord delivered those inhabitants of the land into their hand. And it wasn't just a, a, a close fight. It was a great victory. 10,000 people had died on the battlefield. That's not the funny thing I find here, though. The funny thing is what I find at the end of verse 6. Verse 6 says, But Adonai Bezak fled, and they pursued after him, and caught him, and cut off his thumbs and great toes. Now listen, you can sit there with a sour look on your face and act like you're more holy than I am. That's funny stuff. <laughs> Come on, we read, we read things like David going out to battle Goliath, and this little shepherd boy, how old he was, I don't know, you can decide that, but he's young, goes out and fights and he, he smites Goliath with a stone, goes and pulls out Goliath's own sword, cuts his head off, and then picks up the head and charges in the battle. 
Come on now, that's good stuff. That's the way a battle is supposed to go. But these guys end up slaughtering 10,000 people. They catch the leader, and they're like, what are we going to do with this guy? Someone says, I got an idea. <laughs> Let's cut off his thumbs and great toes. If ever there's been a great description in Scripture of something, it's great toes. We find it coming in, in the book of Exodus and Leviticus. We find it occurring over and over again. But they catch this king, and instead of killing him, they say, let's cut off his thumbs and great toes. That's bizarre, folks. That's bizarre enough, but it gets worse. Look at the next verse. And Adonai Bezek said, Three score and ten kings, having their thumbs and their great toes cut off, gathered their meat under my table. <laughs> As I have done, so God hath requited me. Did you catch that? Okay, it's weird enough this guy's now there with no big toes and no thumbs. And he says, well, what goes around comes around. I did it to 70 people, and now it's come back to me. That's bizarre. That's, that's weird. But I think weird. So I, I find it pretty easy to find a, a lesson in this. As I began to study this, uh, l listen, I, I know this because I Googled it. The, if you go to the National Institute of Podiatry, which is exciting stuff on that website, if you're looking for something to read, there you go. Here's what you'll find. You'll find that 85% of position correcting comes from, you guessed it, the big toes. As you're, as you're walking, ah, that's going to get old going down right there all night, I'll tell you that. As you're walking, your heel goes on the ground first absorbing some of the shock, but as you rock forward, your big toe says, it's time for me to go to work. Your big toe judges how fast you're going and how fast you want to go, and if you want to speed up, your big toe gives a little effort and springs a little more and gives a little effort into the next step, and your, your next big toe does that to, to, to kind of correspond with it. If you're going to run, you know, when you run, if you run right, you run with your, your ball of your foot hitting the ground first, and then kind of rocking back in your heel, your big toe goes to work and says, i got to absorb some of this massive shock. For some of us, it would be more than others. But he's, i got to absorb some of this and, and, and put it to the rest of my foot. So our big toe's important. If you don't have your big toes, I've never seen it, but I would imagine you're going to walk something like somebody with those diver's fins on your feet. I remember being a young boy growing up in South Georgia trying to walk across the ground in those things. <laughs> you look like, I don't know, you look ridiculous. It affects you. But I began to say, why in the world would they do this? It's not just something we find in Scripture, but historically. Historically, we find that there are cases of the enemies of people being conquered, but instead of wiping them out or annihilating them, they would put them through the same treatment. We find that there's basically three reasons why people cut off the thumbs and the toes of their enemy. The first reason is you want to make sure that they're never going to return to the fight. You want to make sure that your enemy, you're not going to kill him, but you're going to make sure he's never going to return to the fight. There's a, there's a historical case, I can't even pronounce the name of the people, but there was a great battle and the king ordered his men after winning the battle to go and cut off the thumbs of all of the soldiers they had just defeated so that they could never hold a spear again. He was ensuring that his enemy would be taken out of the fight. Not killed, just taken out of the fight. The second reason you would do it is, as we find here, you, you, you enslave a people. You make them dependent upon you. This king said, I did this to all these kings that I conquered. I vanquished them. I, I, I took them and I, I cut off their thumbs and their big toes so they had to gather their meat under my table. They could no longer provide for themselves. So the first reason is to remove somebody from the fight. The second reason is to make them dependent upon the one who's conquered them. And the third reason is to mark them, to shame them. Uh, in, in the, during the Roman Empire, when they're at the height of their, uh, of their rule, their, their power, they were conquering and, and moving on and advancing and expanding the kingdom. And many times the, uh, the, the leaders of the army realized they needed servants and, and uh, underlings to do the work, the manual labor of the army. And they, they didn't want to destroy their enemies. They simply wanted to, to make them to where everyone recognized them as the slaves. So they cut off their thumbs, their toes. When anyone ever saw them walking, working, they were recognized as somebody who had been defeated. It was a thing of shame and dishonor. 
And as I began to ponder those things, I find it very, very easy to draw some parallels between Judges 1 and then the Christian life. If it is true for those three reasons, the people had their, their thumbs and their great toes cut off, I am convinced as we look around us at the church of the living God, I'm convinced that many of the professing Christians, those who would do great things for Christ, I'm convinced many of them find themselves in a position of having their thumbs and their toes cut off. There are some things for a Christian, there are some things worse than dying. Being set on a shelf, never to serve God again. Talk about sad and depressing. And yet I'm convinced there's not, there's not a person in this place who would argue. They would argue the fact that we have an adversary. We have an enemy. The Bible says he's, he's hunting and he's stalking. He's, he's prowling, seeking who he can devour. We have our enemy. And I've heard preachers preach, and I'm not saying it's not accurate, that I've heard preachers preach messages about how you can run from God, and you can live like the devil, and eventually God will kill you for it. And that may be so, but I'm going to tell you for the man or the woman who has a heart to serve God and wants to, to love the Lord and be on fire for the Lord, death would be the easy way out. But to be set on the, on the shelf, removed from the fight, never able to pick up your weapon again, for those who have a heart to serve the Lord, that would be worse than death. And yet I believe we're surrounded by people in just that shape. I, I, I jotted down a few things, a few ways I believe we have our thumbs and our toes cut off many times. Uh, according to the Word of God, people just removed from the fight, be, be, been made ineffective, no threat whatsoever to the devil. First of all, can I just tell you very quickly, I'll give these to you, you can write these down, look up the references uh, on your own time there. First of all, I believe that we become ineffective. We lose our, our thumbs and great toes. When we, be, when we lose sight, we lose focus of the goal. We lose sight of the reason we do what we do. Hey, you know, I'm, not talking about, I'm not talking about losing the influence. I'm not talking about not looking like we're something to other people. There are people all across our nation. Preachers get in the pulpit and preach and people flock to them. By all appearances, we'd say, oh, what a great man of God he is. Somebody said this one time, and I believe, it, I believe it's a good example. They said just because something is, is getting bigger doesn't mean that it's growing and alive. Then he said the animal that gets hit by a car on the side of the road will always swell up before it withers away to nothing. Isn't that delicious? Remember that when you're eating your chicken sandwich. A Chick-fil-A knockout. Brother, I don't know where you are. That was the worst advertisement for a chicken sandwich I have ever heard. I looked at my wife and I said, that sounds delicious. <laughs> Look, I'm just saying these, what we judge to be a large and, and successful work for God, I wonder sometimes what God thinks of those very same works. You know, our goal is not to grow a big church. It's not. In fact, we find it stated over and over and over again in our New Testament, all that we do. In fact, the Bible says, whether you, therefore you eat or you drink, says you do all to the glory of God. When we lose sight, when we lose focus of that being the reason we exist, according to Revelation 4, we exist for His glory, His honor, for His pleasure. But when we make it about me, all of a sudden, it's not about him and what glory he's getting. Now it's about me and what I'm getting. What do people think of me? It may not appear to everybody else, but I believe we become ineffective for the cause of Christ. We're no threat to the devil anymore, that's for sure. If we're, if we're just focused on ourselves, if all we care about is what I'm getting out of this, shame on us. It's as though your thumbs... And your toes have been removed. You're not dead, but you're no threat to the enemy anymore. You're no threat to the enemy. I believe another way that a Christian finds themselves in this position of, of weakness and being powerless is when we lose the unity amongst the brethren. 
Now, now listen, if you're a pastor, assistant pastor, involved in leadership of church, evangelist, whatever you might be, you may have a better grasp on this concept than, than someone who might just be a, a, a member of the church, not involved that much. But anyone that's been in ministry any time at all will, will attest to the fact that all it takes is a little bit of disunity amongst the body of Christ and that church that was once vibrant and moving forward for the cause of Christ has now become stagnant and stale and weak and powerless. It's as though the Christians in that body of believers have had their thumbs and their toes cut off. They're not dead. They're not gone. They're still there, but they're accomplishing nothing for the cause of Christ. I like the way Philippians refers to the way we treat one another. It says, look, not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And then we go into that dissension of Jesus Christ. It says, uh, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he begins to talk about the humility that it, it required. And many times we disconnect the passage of the humility of Jesus from what preceded it. The only reason that passage about Jesus' humility is there is it's explaining how we are supposed to treat one another. Forget that, though. It's about me. Well, you know, that, that brother, he just needs to grow up. He needs to mature a little bit. If he's got a problem, that's his problem, not mine. Shame on us. What we've done is we've created this, this sore that looks like a, a little sore right now, but it will fester and get worse, and the infection will spread until the whole body of believers is affected by it having their thumbs and their great toes cut off. I don't know about you, but I can think of ministries, I can think of churches that we would all say were great churches in days gone by. Tremendous works where the power of God was evident, souls being saved. I can think of those churches, and if I were to go to them today, I would say, what in the world happened? The building is still there. The pews are still there. There may even be a little gathering every Sunday morning. Something's happened. They're no longer in the fight. You better be careful. You better be careful. Having their thumbs and great toes cut off. I believe that when we lose sight of glorifying God in all that we do, when He ceases to be the reason behind all we do, we become ineffective for the cause of Christ, I believe when the brethren are no longer unified in their endeavors to serve God, I believe we become ineffective. I believe that the Christian becomes ineffective. It's as though their thumbs and great toes have been cut off when we lose the joy of serving God. Listen, you can, you can press through. You, you, don't, you, you can, with bitterness, try to do something for the cause of Christ, but you'll never be what you could be if, if you just remained joyful if you, and let the joy of the Lord be your strength in all you do. It's so sad. I've talked to many people. I have friends in the ministry all over the country. I've talked to, even recently, I've talked to a couple of them, and they're just, they just feel defeated. They just feel like it's a waste of time. They're tired of being hurt. They're tired of doing all the work and no one joining them. They're just tired of it. They've lost the joy in serving the Lord. They're on the brink of that, 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 that quitting point. It's as though Satan has said, I'm not going to kill you. I'll, I'll leave you be, but I'll take your thumbs and your toes. No longer effective in the fight. The greatest joy of my life has been serving the Lord. It is. It's the greatest joy of my life. To be able to pastor the church where, I, where I've been. It's 12 years. I can't believe it's been 12 years that I've been the pastor there. It's been the greatest joy of my life. I would like to think, I would like to think that if things took a turn and uh, it wasn't so much a joy anymore. I like to think I've got the determination and the drive to keep pressing on and not quitting. But let's just be honest. We do a whole lot better job at anything when we're happy about it. We do a whole Your employer wants happy, joyful employees. Not because he cares for you so much as he cares about the bottom line, the profit. 
happy employees are productive employees. And I'm convinced joyful Christians are productive Christians. If he can steal our joy, he'll just set us on the sideline and say, just watch the game from now on. It happens all the time. I believe it happens all the time. These kings had their thumbs and their great toes removed. And I believe, spiritually speaking, many times we go through the same thing. I believe one of the saddest things, I think maybe I'll just, I'll just finish with this thought. One of the saddest things I've seen, and the older I get, I think it's more recognizable for many reasons. We won't get into all that. But the older I get, I think it, it's, it's more noticeable to me. When a Christian begins to lose their conviction about sin. When they begin to reach a point in their life where mom and dad don't know all they think they know. Well, the preacher's just a little old-fashioned for my liking. Well, I know the Bible says that, but you can't take the Bible literally. What, what's happening to that individual, whether they realize it or not, that, that conviction of sin which the Holy Ghost of God works inside an individual, when we begin to diminish and, and squelch that, we begin to lose the power of godly living. You might as well have your thumbs and your toes cut off. We are surrounded. We are surrounded by Call them mega churches, call them seeker friendly, call them whatever you want. The Bible calls it carnal Christians. We're surrounded, and I've, I've, I've had this discussion just this last week. I had a discussion with somebody who told me it does not matter what I wear, it does not matter what I look like. God knows who I am, He's worried, He's more concerned about my heart. Hey, can I just tell you the verses in the Bible that used to say you ought to live a godly life, a holy life, they're still there. Romans chapter 12 doesn't say present your heart a living sacrifice. It says present your bodies a living sacrifice. My God is very much concerned about the way I look. My God is very much concerned about the things I look at, the things I listen to. My God is concerned about what the world sees when they look at me. But when I begin to say, none of that matters. I read my devotional for the day. God understands who I am. You can hide, you can hide behind those pathetic excuses for your carnality all you want. But what's really taking place is our adversary, our enemy, has caught you. And instead of wiping you out, instead of annihilating you, he said, no, it's okay. I'll just remove the threat. Do you really think the devil is threatened by a carnal Christian? A Christian who will not stand for God on any conviction of sin a Christian who will not make sacrifices for, for personal holiness, do you really think that person is a threat to our spiritual enemy? I think not. I think not. The list of things that will hinder us as we wage that good warfare, could be, that list could be very, very long. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Second Timothy says, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that may please him who's called him to be a soldier. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Tonight, just hit the pause button on your life just for a moment and step way back and say where I'm standing right now, the condition of my life right now, am I as powerful for the cause of Christ as I should be? Are there things in my life tonight that if I were to remove them, I could have a greater effect for my Savior? Are there things right now that I'm doing that if I would just give them up, I might be a little more successful? Are there distractions, the cares of this life? Are they tying me up to where I no longer care about glorifying God? I care only for glorifying myself. 
I tell you what we need. There's lots of young people under this sin. What we need is we need you young people to reach the point where you say, I will not, I will not be caught and hampered and set on the sideline by the enemy. I'll have the conviction. I have the conviction of sin. If God says it's wrong, I'll use that as the starting point and move forward. What you ought to do is say, you know what? That brother may have offended me. He may have hurt me. But the unity of the body of Christ is far more important than my feelings. Tonight I'm going to let that go because I believe the body of Christ is better whole than divided and infirm. Might be a good night for that. Some of the greatest revivals over the last four centuries have been started when not the lost people come and get saved. That's a result of revival. The greatest revivals of the last four centuries occur when the body of Christ gets right with one another and they get right with God. That's what we need. And until we achieve that unity, we might as well have our thumbs and our toes removed. We're ineffective. We're powerless. How does it look for you this evening? Let's stand together, please. I don't know how the invitations go after the first preacher. I'm going to turn it back over to Brother Brown in just a moment. Would you stand, please, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Let me remind you that I believe one of the saddest things any of us will ever see is a man or a woman of God, that Christian who told the Lord, I'll love you, I'll serve you. The saddest thing any of us will see as Christians is that same individual at a place in life where they're disqualified from ministry. They're so burdened by the cares of this life. They're so preoccupied with all the distractions around them. They're ineffective for the cause of Christ. Here's what I'll tell you before I pray. Your church needs good soldiers. Your church needs Sunday school teachers and and preachers and people on visitation and bus workers. Your church, for the cause of Christ, needs you. They need you in fighting condition. I wonder what you're willing to drop in order to remain in tip-top fighting condition. Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the good attention of the folks this evening. Lord, I pray that you would take the remainder of this invitation, Lord, the remainder of the service. God, do with it as you would see fit. God, I ask you to please forgive me for the times I've allowed myself to become distracted, led aside. Lord, please forgive me. Lord, I pray that you would raise up men and women that are willing to fight, Lord, willing to have convictions, willing to do whatever it takes to maintain the unity of the brethren, willing to do whatever it takes to, to glorify you. Well, thank you for this. For it's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Brother Brown. All I can say is Brother Adam doesn't even understand um, how important that message was for us tonight. I don't know why God put him on my heart, but now I know why. We needed to hear that sermon as a church and as individuals. I'm not taking anything back. I'm in total agreement with what he just preached. He got to that last point, and he was talking about carnality in the Christian lives. And I totally agree with what he had to say. But I will say this. We, as God's people, sometimes we got all the outside looking good. We got the right haircut, right length of dress, level of modesty that we think is important, which it is important. I'm all for holiness of God's people, separation, convictions. That's all. I'm all about it. But I know some people that have all the high standards, preachers that have all the high standards, but they're not right in their hearts. We're proud. We're full of ourselves sometimes. 
And I'll tell you what, God spoke to my heart tonight in a real way. Let's all bow our heads if we would. We are going to give a couple stanzas of invitation, see what the Lord does. Don't ever want to miss out on an opportunity. My mind went to a preacher, a hero of my life, preaching great meetings, being used of God, missionaries called out under his preaching. Evangelists, I mean, God used him mightily for 25 years. In the last few years of his ministry that I knew him, he was angry and bitter and snarly, complaining all the time, never satisfied, no joy, as the preacher said. Everybody else is wrong. I watched that man in a few short years say, and you know, it's interesting, Brother Brown preached on this news here. I'm finally going to get mine. That was his attitude. And that hero preacher of mine got out of the ministry. Broke my heart and many other hearts. And here's the sad part. I've seen many, many more follow the same line. That could happen to preachers. Hey, preachers, lay preachers, pastors, missionaries, you're here tonight, you're called of God. That can happen to you. But God's people, listen, that happened to you too dot all your I's and cross all your T's and your heart's not right. That's why we, we're lacking in the churches today. What a message. What a message. God help us. As we sing 118, you come as God dealing with you. And if you automatically think, that's not me, you better check again. I think we all need to check our hearts. 118. Thank you, Pastor Adams. Brother Tom, lead us if you would. Actions been nailed to the Thank you so much, preacher. Just what we needed. Thank you so much for being prayerful and be willing to come in this meeting. You know, I imagine that's a hard place to be when you get called in the middle of the week. You didn't plan on preaching and the change of gears and come over prayed up and ready to preach and try to be a blessing, but you, you did a good job. Just what we needed. Thank you, Brother Adam, so much. Well, uh, let's do this. Let's have our... Um, 
Let's do let's do something different. We don't always have to do it in the same order. Let's let's have the ushers come and we'll take up our offering. And uh, we have uh, Paul and Laura. No, Paul and Jillian are going to come, and uh, they're going to sing for the offertory, uh, father and daughter. And uh, we'll have the offering taken up, and then we'll. When they're done, we'll shake a few hands, go around and hug a few necks, and welcome everybody to service, and then we'll have the Kendrick family come and sing, and then we'll have our preacher for the night, our final preacher, okay? So let's have the ushers come. We'll take up our offering. What you give to the meeting each night goes to the meeting, goes to the speakers, the preachers, and so forth. And uh, hey, tomorrow night's Friday. It's over Friday. We have an afterglow Sunday at Parkview, afterglow tent, and we get to have a little bit more at our church on Sunday, but I can't believe it, one more night. So if you intend to give, then that's a good time, okay? And help us with the expenses of the meeting. So let's pray and ask God to bless the offering. Brother Steve Everett, would you pray, please? Amen. Thank you. Go ahead and sing.
standing again. Turn to page 54 in your songbook. Page 54, Kendricks, if you get ready to come sing for us, please. Page 54. Go ahead, sis. Paul. Some glad morning. Jesus. Uh, I'm on the wrong song. I'm on the wrong song. Number 54, I'll fly away. Some glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away in the when I die. Let's get around and welcome one another to the service. 